tonight on Arena. Pat Kidevan and Jim Cullerton on Pat's new play, King, and Christine Tobin on her new album, Returning Weather. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. King is the title of the new play from playwright Pat Kinnevan. It will be going on a nationwide tour from this Thursday, February the twenty third. Once again, Pat has teamed up with Fishamble Theatre Company and director Jim Cullerton to tell the story this time of a character called Luther. Isolated, lonely, plagued by traumatic events earlier in his life, Luther only leaves his apartment to perform as an Elvis impersonator and he copes with his isolation by conjuring up voices from past lives. King is the latest in a series of solo works from Pat Kinnavan uh, which have been brought to the stage with Fitchamble and delighted that both Pat and director Jim Colton are with me in studio this evening. The title King and the fact that the, the kind of the lead character here Pat is called Luther mm-hmm. there, there are two big hints there in, as, as to a, a little bit about this man. Yeah, uh, Sean, thank you for having us on. Uh, we are really excited to be launching King this week. We're going on a nationwide tour, tour with the NASC uh, network. And uh, we, our first show is going to be in Glore in Ennis next Thursday night. So we finished today in the rehearsal room. And it was a really weird feeling coming out of the rehearsal room and leaving that behind because yeah. we've had a great, great time. It's three years now in putting this together wow. between the writing, which started well before pandemic and everything like that. And then slowly, slowly putting it all together. Um, and Luther has been occurring to me slowly all the time. And he arrived really on the planet six hours after Dr. Martin King Jr. was assassinated, as you say. But most essentially and most importantly, his grandmother, Biba, she is this powerhouse. She's probably more of uh, a parent to him than his parents were. And she insists, like, she insists that he be named after Luther. Luther. Um, She's called Biba, why? Because... uh, well, I may as well say it. Well, she got a, she got a smack of an ambulance <laughs> when he was small, right? And when she got out of hospital after a month, she got a smack of another one at the car park. So she's known for her um, encounters with ambulances. Encounters with ambulances, yeah. And obviously, I, I mentioned in the introduction as well that um, part of uh, Luther's setup, if you like, is that he only leaves his apartment really to perform as Elvis, yes. uh, uh, another king. Another king, and and uh, he leaves. I I'll, I'll be doing a piece later, mm. and it'll be explained why yeah. he why he has to do this job. He needs the money for something because essentially he is on uh, because of his journey, really, with his own mental health and uh, his isolations and uh, kind of kind of in his own form of PTSD. He. Um, he he is on a disability allowance. Yeah. Um, he doesn't also uh, want the social welfare to know that he is um, 
an Elvis impersonator uh, for all sorts of reasons. He doesn't know whether it's legal or not, but he needs this money yeah. badly. Yeah, well, to be fair, and I think we just have the piece now, George, but to give to give it the context, he needs the money because he, he wants to help with looking after his dad, who yes. needs, needs to be looked after. So it's it's for a good cause that he's he wants to earn this money. Let's be upfront about yeah. what he's at here. And when I wrote yeah. this, like a few years ago, I didn't realise how topical it was going mm. to be right now, which is kind of scary, but there you go. It, like it was kind of zeitgeisty things are. Yeah, because it, it's all about how, you, you know, you're putting up your house to mm-hmm. pay for your parents' um, care. But what if it doesn't cover everything? What if it doesn't cover everything? Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what you're what we're looking at here. Can we hear a wee bit then of yeah. Luther in action? So this is Luther um, speaking to uh, his, the audience who could be in his head imaginary friends. Uh, this is just like my case file when I was in St. Kevin's 35 years back. Imagine 30 patients, 30 folders, all in the cabinet of the nurse's station. I used to sneak a peek at the other's conditions and case notes when I got a chance, usually when the staff went for a piss. I had him timed to the millisecond. I was in a ward with a fella that clubbed his auntie to death with the leg of an occasional table. An ex-priest who walked around like a duck and a retired judge who thought he was Dana and he held his wig like this, singing all kinds of everything. Yeah, I don't go there really for what might happen when Dad is gone. I, I might have to sell. Oh, Jesus, it frightens the life of me. So I, I can't go there at all in my head. You see, the fair deal crowd told me they don't cover Dad's hair, skin, teeth or nails. The home provides all those services, but at a cost. 170 euro a month extra. All I have is my disability payment. So I, I had to get the money from somewhere. He was always so immaculate of himself and he gets distressed, you know, if he's not speaking span. So, year one, I sold. All the furniture. Year two, I pawned all the silverware and crystal. Year three, I sold all Mam's tiny bejeweled gowns. And year four, just in the nick, I saw an ad in Supervalue notice board. Male warm-up singer needed. You sound like Neil Diamond, Sinatra, Rod Stewart or other. Three nights a week from nine to ten. Good rates, travel paid, costumes supplied. Ring Davy Black's Karaoke Shack 087. La 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 la. It's eight minutes in a taxi. I get stressed here and drop straight back after a nobody. Except Davy knows who I am. I said, Davy, I don't want no one to know it's me in case the social welfare come after me. Please don't tell anyone, especially or not even Annunciata. And he swore to me that he wouldn't tell a soul. <laughs> Pat Kinnevin there as Luther in a scene from his new play, King. And we should explain, Annunciata is one of the women who works in the chemist and yes. that's a vital part for, for his medication, etc., etc. Yes. And she tells everyone everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we get a sense from that, Jim, even listening to Pat as he performed there. there it's hilariously funny in some ways, it's also tragically sad in lots of other ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the, the great things about Pat's writing, you know, and something that audiences throughout, this is the fifth solo play that, mm. that Fish Amble and Pat have worked um, on together. And I suppose audiences really enjoy that sense that they're laughing uproariously at one moment and then the rug is pulled from under them as things turn and, and they're feeling really sad and emotional at other times. It's a real emotional roller coaster, I think, being at Pat's place. And this is no different in King that there's there's great fun and great humour in it. But underlying that, there's there's a loneliness and a kind of a, a fear and a worry about what happens as we get older as well. Yeah, and, and the, the previous plays that Pat and yourself have worked on together, Forgotten, Silent, Underneath and Before, you know, award winners across the board, hugely successful and all just Pat his body and his, his facility with that. But you might talk to me a little bit, Jim, in the last part, the same question about 
What's the nature of that collaboration? I mean, Pat was saying this this is three years in the making and obviously the pandemic came in the middle of that somewhere. But how does the collaboration between the two of you work in terms of developing the work from an initial idea? Well, yeah, it's it's 25 years now since Pat wrote his first play for Fish Amble <laughs> and I think 16 or 17 years since we started the solo plays. Um, and there's a lovely sort of, I feel there's a lovely slow burn to them. I suppose we know each other so well and we've worked together so much. There's a, kind of, there's a shorthand and there's kind of a slow burn with ideas. So Pat will sort of casually maybe someday, you know, we might be on tour with one of the plays and mm. he'll say, oh, I have an idea for something else. And, you know, and I, and I want to write a play like, you know, I want to write, for this play. And I think you said, you know, I want to write a play about, you know, about the abuse of power and about bullying and how, about how, you know, key events, if somebody says the wrong thing to you or says a nasty thing to you how that can affect you for a long time and how you have to try and overcome that and a play about freedom and living your life to the full and he said oh, it might be about a, a guy you know who's kind of who lives in his house and doesn't go out much and 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 him just just set in real time over the course of an evening as he gets ready to go out and just hopes he'll be able to get out the front door and I remember thinking yeah that sounds great mm. and Pat would write a couple of pages and we'd have a chat and he'd write another few pages and we'd talk about what way it might go um and then, you know, this is before the pandemic. So, you know, what I mean? yeah. we're working then through the pandemic going, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> have you caused this with your with your play and your idea? It felt so pertinent, you yeah, know. Absolutely. And then gradually we bring the, I mean, the, the fantastic team of people in Fishamble and then Dennis Clossy writing the music and then the choreographers, Christina Shalwar and Julian Brigatti yeah. as well, bringing the team in slowly but surely over the course of the, the last few months or year, maybe. But certainly in the early years, it's kind of about teasing out ideas teasing and trying out, out little bits and, and seeing where it might bring us. And I suppose finding that character, but it is extraordinary that you picked on a, a guy who wouldn't leave the house and one thing about this is before the pandemic and then this fair deal scheme that he's trying to deal with when when we see how you know how much that is in the news right mm. now it's extraordinary that those things I mean how how socially aware would you be around or politically aware around stuff like that even though this was well ahead of the time or is it just something that bubbles out I think I'm just a witch <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like it, it was just one of those things that t- a couple of things came together. But I've I've always felt very, very, as you know from my first piece, forgotten. Mm. I've always felt very, very uh, saddened. But also, I, I you know, it, it, gives, it causes me gentle fury. You know of how ageing in our country in a first world country that we really do have to talk about it more and we really do have to talk about it's going to it's happening fast to mm. us Johnny by you it's know, going to all of us, yeah. and that <laughs> if we we're sh- lucky we'll get to age if we're, if we're lucky and, mm. and it's a privilege to get to that age mm. but also with that should come privileges I've, yeah. I've always felt that that we don't bestow a, 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 as many privileges to our elders um, for what they've given us and what they've given the country as well. Uh, so it's, I'm, I've, I'll always drive that home. Oh, that's very, very important. Let's have a listen to a little bit of music because movement is such an important part of these plays. so sultry and it's so laid back this is the Argentinian tango this is called King Tango which is part of the play as well Pat, yes. Pat Kinnavan's play King that we're speaking about this evening how much tangoing are you doing alone to this or is it a straightforward choreography will we be seeing you on Dancing with the Stars next no you won't be ever be seeing me on Dancing with the Stars uh, but, and that's no offence to anyone because I love watching it and not being in it but um I've always had this idea that uh, that he, I, I was very, very kind of close to to, uh, to his parents in this, and his parents, um, they are 
their champion Argentine tango dancers and working with Christine, uh, Christina and working with Julian, they really have informed the piece insofar as, you know, we learned as we went along that the Argentine tango is the only dance in the world where lovers or strangers can literally dance heartbeat to heartbeat. You're pressed against mm. that person. And it's, it's, it's about passion and it's about loss and it's about grief and it's about sex and it's about everything that is raw Um, beautiful beautiful line that Christina gave us and bestowed us was that everyone comes to the tango after a deep loss so his parents um, are they're they're a magnificent couple on the floor but off the floor not so good. So yeah. we, you, I yeah. can't tell you anymore. No, that's plenty to be telling us. I think you've whetted our appetite brilliantly with yeah. that. I'm delighted that there's a, a fifth in the series um, coming along, and long may the collaboration continue because it has been so fruitful over the past over the past 25 years. Can't, can't believe. And you've been it. amazing to us, Sean, um, no. on all of them. So thank you. No, I'm delighted, delighted, to be said. delighted that you could get into us. That's a play, playwright Pat Kinnavan, director Jim Cullerton. Pat's newest work, King, will be on tour around Ireland from this Thursday. February the 23rd starts off in Ennis in County Clare goes to Limerick Galway Letterkenny Longford Portlaoise Dunleary Tralee and Tralee finally in County Kerry I'm sure there'll be further dates further along the line as well fishamble.com for further details now returning weather is the latest work from Dublin born vocalist and songwriter Christine Tobin the album charts a journey which is part homecoming part memoir and was inspired by Christine's return to Ireland after spending more than three decades living abroad in London Margate and New York. The album weaves songs, spoken word and visual effects with traditional and jazz influences. It's performed by a stellar group of musicians from diverse disciplines. Together they create a multi-dimensional sound world. Christine explores themes such as finding home, connecting with landscape, reconnecting with a cultural background and reshaping a sense of identity and belonging. Delighted that Christine joins us this evening from our Sligo studio. Christine, this project is all about home and connection and I suppose it's a direct response to your move back home to Ireland in, in 2020, linking in and around the, the, the dreaded pandemic again. But you, you were away for nearly three and a half, four decades. How big a change was it for you coming home to Ireland at that time? Hi, Sean. Lovely to be in the programme. Um, it was a massive change. Uh, it was, a you know, you don't get much greater contrast than going from New York to a townland called Callow um, between French Park and Balahadrine. Uh, you know, a rural, quiet, uh, beautiful landscape as opposed to a, a city skyscraper, busy, densely populated place. Mm. So it was a massive change. But I strangely just fell into it and uh, I felt it was, it felt like it was completely the right thing to do. Um, And I felt I I had a profound sense of homecoming. Yeah, because I mean, one of the extraordinary things, your build is a jazz singer. Now, there are jazz influences in here. There's no question about that. But this is very much uh, an Irish album and very much an Irish album with with a great traditional base i would I would argue in under underneath it. How quickly did the music of home start to find its way into the works that you were composing and working on uh, christine well that i'm I'm glad to hear you say I, I've never felt that I'm totally a you know fit into one category um it just so happened that when I started to sing i 
I heard the, the Mingus album by Joni Mitchell and then got into jazz and then became a bit obsessed with that um, and have a deep passion for jazz. But I've always been interested and influenced by other kinds of music and I didn't grow up with jazz, you know. Mm. So um, it just felt right to go in that direction because I was coming back to Ireland and I was in this rural environment and I was looking out of a small cottage, um, looking out the windows onto fields of all different shapes and sizes, all different kinds of hedgerows and cows trotting by being moved from one field <laughs> to another. It, you know, so it, it felt the the landscape sort of mm. gave me the the flavor of the music and pointed me in the direction that I should go in. How far away from you is Loch Glynn? That's probably about it's probably about twelve kilometers, and it's a small village between. Um, you'd come across it on the road from Balladrine to Castle Ree, um, and uh, it's a it's just a wee village. But I used to go for walks there uh, with my partner Phil Robson. We'd sneak out during lockdown and go for walks by the lake. Um, mm that sits on one side of the village and there's beautiful woodlands um, all around that and uh, little lanes that, you know, where the trees grow and make a, they join on top. So you're like walking through a little tunnel and uh, it's, it's lovely, a very peaceful place. In fact, you have, you have two tracks on the album called Loch Glynn, Loch Glynn Part 1, which kind of starts with a New York soundscape or certainly a city soundscape and we make our way into it a little bit further on into the more, I suppose, rustic and, and rural sound. But I'm going to go to the second uh, version of Loch Glynn that you have on the album, a little bit further down the track listing. This is Loch Glynn Part 2. Um, stories w- within this song we listen to we listen to some of it and we'll talk about who's playing and the, and the musicians that are involved in it afterwards but this is Christine Tobin from her new album Returning Weather Lachlan Part 2 is part of Loch Glynn Part 2 that is uh, on the new album from Christine, Christine Tobin the album is called Returning Weather and a really beautiful sense uh, Christine is in our Sligo studio tonight and I kind of really get a sense of that part of the world I know it's, it's Roscommon so we're, we're a bit further south but we're, we're in that general neck of the woods Christine with that Yes. but you, you touch on the beauty the, the natural beauty of the, the lake and the loch but then you get into the the dark history of it. How important was it for you to get th- those balances? You know, we, we hear about two young men who were killed there in 1921 and again, 60 years later, two young Gardaí were killed following a, a, a bank robbery. How important was it for you to, to fit that dark history in alongside the beauty of the landscape itself? Well, I thought it was a, a striking story because I'd been I'd been walking there, as I say, during lockdown, and um, you know, just finding a nice uh, circular walk and through the lanes, and then I came across these. Um, I came across the monument to the uh, the nineteen twenty one memorial of the two young men that were murdered by the Black and Tans um, when they were they were in a safe house and tried to escape, hearing that the Black and Tans were coming from them for them and. 
and uh, ran into the woods and uh, got caught by them and then murdered uh, and in quite a violent way. Um, so I, I just, I thought that was a good, the contrast between the, the beauty of the place, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you're wandering along thinking how peaceful and how beautiful, but of course everywhere has its history. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, you know, it was a coincidence, like not a coincidence, but strange that like a juxtaposition almost 60 years later or a little bit more, um, you know, these two Gardaí are murdered um, by bank robbers who they kind of intercept just outside the woods on their way from Balahadreen after a bank robbery. Um, and uh, they were violently shot yeah. and killed by the, the bank robbers um, who are alleged to have been members of the INLA. So there's a sort of a connection there as well, yeah. you know. Um, uh, so I was intrigued by that. Uh, so you, you have that mix of natural beauty and and those historical events which have a, a, a real sadness within them. But the other thing that struck me musically was there is a real mix of the jazz and the and the trad there. It was David Power who's playing the pipes in, on That's that right. particular track. Yeah. Uh, and, and you almost start off in a kind of a jazz improvisational um, singing style, which fits in with a, a traditional sign of style of lilting, which you do in another track as well. Was it fully improvised in that sense or, or how did you approach the making of it? Well, I was just thinking of my voice as an instrument and how, you know, if I was a whistle or uh, playing a violin or, you know, another mm. another instrument that I would just weave around the melody that David was playing and how he was expressing it. Um, so, I'm yeah, I'm just weaving around him and uh, trying to draw out more of the feeling of the yeah. piece. And then we're joined by Cora Lonnie, Cora Venus Lonnie comes in with the violin. Yeah, and the viola. She has viola on, on other tracks yeah. as well, doesn't she? Yeah. And your partner, Phil, uh, on guitar and electronic, Steve Hamilton, on piano and in fact I want to finish up with playing one of the tracks that features um, piano as well and this is Callow you mentioned that this is a direct reference to your newfound home had you no connection with Roscommon before you came home because I've I've said that you're a a Dublin born vocalist had you no connection with that part of the woods uh, that neck of the woods or (laughs) had you relatives down there no, I hadn't actually. Um, I hadn't any connection there at all and uh, just came across the place um, trawling through the internet and just went there. But I had, I felt a real strong connection, you know, as soon as I, I mm. landed uh, on the, the site and uh, the people were so welcoming as, as well, you know, a great warmth from the landscape and the people. So uh, immediately felt at home. And obviously that's what, what made its way into the warmth of the music. We listened, we'll finish up by listening to a little bit of Callow then, the name of the townland, and I'll give details out about the tours and uh, the dates and venues afterwards. Thanks for being with us this evening, Christine. My pleasure. Thanks, Sean. That's Christine Tobin. And let's listen to Callow from her new album. Firmly with both feet on the ground Bit of 
of the track Callow there from Christine Tobin and her new album Returning Weather Christine on vocals there you also heard the piano playing of Steve Hamilton uh, guitar and electronics provided by Phil Robson David Power on Illin Pipes and some of the tracks but I guess he's on the whistles there Cora Vida Sloney on violin and viola um, the Returning L- Weather album will be launched on March the 3rd Christine will start a nationwide tour in fact on March the 1st uh, she's in Dublin the John Field Room in fact on the 1st of March Limerick in Dolan's in Limerick on March the 2nd Cork Tristle Arts Centre on March the 3rd right through until the 18th of March when she's in Ennis in County Clare at Glore you can find out full details of all of the venues and dates on Christine's website which is christine-tobin.com Mint Care is the name of a new film about Irish travellers showing as part of this year's Dublin International Film Festival The film is a short documentary looking at the traditional crafts and way of life of the Irish traveller back through the ages. The film also looks at a long history of discrimination and exclusion suffered by travellers at the hands of settled people and the state. Alongside archive pictures and personal photographs, the film offers a portrayal of traveller life as told by travellers themselves. Amongst its contributors is Nora Corcoran, who's with me in studio this evening, alongside the documentary's director, Teresa Lavina. Um, you, Teresa, are a social justice filmmaker in, in the Basque country. When did the interest in Irish traveller culture come about and how did this film come about? Well, uh, I've been here for the last 26 years and social justice is my thing. Uh, I did have, a, like I, I was friends with members of the traveller community uh, long before this. I, I'm actually in a collaboration now with Michael Collins. Uh, I'm just directing his new script and we're writing it as part of, of my company. So Michael uh, gave me a big introduction to, to traveller life and I felt so familiar when I went into the world of the travelers, because it's very, very similar to Spain in many ways. So when uh, the Galway Traveler Movement initially asked me to do a small piece on uh, Irish uh, Irish traveler uh, heritage, and Nora approached, you know, Mm -hmm. it was great to brainstorm and just come up with something that really, uh, like really portrayed a traveller yeah. heritage. Well, let's go go to Nora on that. Nora, how excited were you at this idea that actually somebody was going to give you as a member of the travelling community, you a chance to tell your story and the story of your community? I was absolutely delighted because obviously this film um, started that we were, we wanted to do something for Culture Night in Banisloe in County Galway. We, we came up with the idea, let's do a film on, you know, life on the road. So, why it's so important because it it kind of allowed us as traveller women or minker bureaus as I like to call myself that's canned for traveller women to showcase our heritage and culture our traditions our rich culture to the viewing public because there is a lot of misconceptions mis, um, misperceptions and misrepresentation of our community so this was our chance to create our own positive narrative through the medium and film and um, we did it with the Global Travel Movement we did it with Global Rural Development and then obviously Teresa was the director so myself and my colleagues got together we sat down what did we do we had a few meetings and we came up with that idea and it was fantastic because when we did do it we were able to actually recreate the griddle bread I made the griddle bread outside for the first time and my mother God rest her would be proud of me because I did it really well we did the beady pockets we made the paper flowers and it just brought us back to our roots as travellers our nomadic roots mm. which is very much inherently a part of 
my DNA. And the most important part is, is having that, you know, those films, it creates that positive narrative, but it also opens up the the, um, the avenue of positive communication. Because we do see, and as you talked about, you know, the years of discrimination, forced assimilation, oppression, that has all impacted, you know, the travelling community. And were, were there particular aspects of the culture that you, you really wanted to put out there because I mean you're mentioning the cooking of the griddle bread there or indeed the making of the, the paper flowers which we see at another po- point we see tinsmiths in there at another stage as well was it very much a looking back to those traditional crafts that you wanted to be involved in? Yes because like I mean what you're looking at what you see what you will see in the film is the natural talent of travellers the first recyclers in the tinsmithing you know the paper flowers using those to, the women would make those but they'd sell them to shops and they'd sell them to women in the farmhouses the griddle bread you know to feed the family it was just basic recipe but it was lovely it's very much part of our, our culture and history that if if we don't do it now we don't archive it we will lose it to our future generations of travellers. Let's have a listen to, to one of the contributors. We see, see it across several different, I suppose, traditional crafts. I might refer to them as that. And this is Joe Casey, who's a, a wagon maker. And here he is talking about the whole art and craft of what he's involved in. To build one, you have to start with the wheels. And then you work to your dray. That's the bottom end of a, of a wagon. If you wanted to convert it, there's no problem. It's the same, there's only a few inches in the difference of a base of a wagon to a, a dray or a four-wheeler, people calls them. And you work your way up then and you get, if you know where there's one, you try to get the measurements. The more carving is in it, the more time, the more it'll look better. You get a basic wagon with only a few carvings, it won't look as good as when she's painted. We go back, I don't know, maybe 80 or 100 years ago, maybe 60 years ago. If you have a good wagon that stands out and you go to the fair and everyone is looking at your wagon, it's like looking at a big Mercedes car or a big, you know, lovely big fancy house along the road. You, you just, you know, that was your fancy. To have a good wagon is, is all your aim. That's Joe Casey, wagon maker from the documentary film Minkar, which we're speaking about this evening. And, and with me in, in studio this evening, the film's director, Teresa Levina and Nora Corcoran. Uh, I, I was laughing there, Nora, and you were, you were nodding in agreement with, with what uh, Joe says in the midst of all of that about, you know, your, your, your wagon was your, your kind of your status symbol. Absolutely. I mean, you come from a hen to a house and you have the wagon in, in, in between. And like that, it was like your house on wheels. And again, if it's, it, it's all about the painting on it and the colour and how it presented mm. even now we look at the wagons and everyone goes straight for the wagons because a lot of the, the, the wagons the colours on, on the wagons are actually they're representative of the minkier colours like you have blue for the sky the red is for the blood that runs through our veins the green is the grass that we walk on so they're minkier colours and they would be very uh, prominent on wagons and you know having that that was shelter you have the shelter inside and you underneath then you have the older children sleep but you go place to place and you'd be quite proud my parents had a wagon you know and my father actually used to you know make the, make the wheels for the carts and he would actually shoe the horses as well so having those you know and moving from place to place it was yeah. actually very very very, it was it was lovely. Exceeding. And Teresa, I mean, there, there are so many crafts that you cover here, but there are lots that I'm sure you couldn't cover everything. It's about 40, maybe 38, 39, 40 minutes long, the film. How much material is there sitting uh, sitting on the edit room floor? About 80 hours. I have, uh, I went everywhere around Ireland and um, 
like say with Joe, I actually traveled on mm. the road on his uh, wagon, like on a cart. And, you know, it was really beautiful to film uh, uh, those uh, sequences. I mean, a lot of it didn't make it to this final edit. Uh, there's another piece that is 50 minutes long. But uh, for the festival, we wanted to have a panel also, you know, so 35 yeah. minutes uh, was the cut that was accepted. But uh, my intention is to uh, give all this footage back to the to guys so they can yeah. have it as part of their archive. I hear the way you speak uh, to me this evening, Nora, and you're, you're clearly full of pride for, of your own heritage. That wasn't always the case. I mean, isn't it? You speak about your own experience growing up in, in Ballinasloe and... Mm-hmm. I suppose you were trying to fit in with everybody else. Was that was, explain what what, yeah. what you felt and what okay. you did at that time. So, as a child growing up, I mean, I would have, um, you know, at the early years, would have um, um, experienced discrimination, especially when we we I lived in what we called group housing, and going on the bus, we would have been, you know, there was been name calls, tinker, knacker, it was there, and that kind of stays with you. So as I grew older, I was more kind of I'd hide my ethnicity. I just I because society conditioned me to believe that being a traveller was wrong. It was like less than equal. So in order for me to kind of fit in, I would kind of just deny who I was and there's times mm. I did deny it. It was only when I, you know, as I became an adult, I went back to education, I got my degree and I started working with the Global Traveller Movement and, and becoming a co-artistic director of a Michelin Festival Nomadic Cultures, which allowed me, and even meeting Teresa, allowed me to be able to claim my space and I'm so proud of who I am now and I, I mourn the loss of that I couldn't embrace my culture. I couldn't because society wouldn't let me, Sean, you know. Mm. And this is why these films are so important because we need to, we need to stop that. We need to create our own positive narratives, narrative for our young people because if we don't do it we're going to lose it for future generations. And obviously as, as I said earlier I mean to a, to a large extent what you're doing here is looking at I suppose the, the dying traditions and the traditions from old, of older mm-hmm. generations in, in, in many ways. What about contemporary uh, travelling culture? It, did, did you want to look at that or is that a, a different day's work if you like? That's a different day's work. But I think the thing is with contemporary uh, traveller culture, if you haven't got, if you've been denied, you know, your kind of rights as a nomadic, like, I mean, I would come from a nomadic family. So I would find a very much part of my DNA. But if you're denied that, you know what I mean, through a lot of laws and legislations, it's very hard to understand contemporary when you haven't even got, you know, the legacy of your past, you know. And it's, we've been excluded for so long. Irish societies exclude us for so long, push us to the margins. But one thing I, you know, I do know is that we're we're only 1% of Ireland, but we're a very, very strong, resilient mm. community. And I would like to say that our, our our traditions are dying. It's just that we, what we have, we want to keep bringing them because, as I said, we're a small community. We will keep those traditions alive by archiving them. By we Obviously, with um, part of Galway Traveller Movement, what we've done, we've done Minker um, Tinsmith, uh, Tinsmithing workshops with Tom McDonnell, which is, uh, Tom, Tom McDonald, which is a Tinsmith. He's one of the last Tinsmiths in Ireland. So what we were, we're trying to do, keep those traditions alive. So we're not going to let them die. Were there, were there sections of the making of the film for you, Teresa, that, that really stood out? Maybe where you learned part of a culture that you just didn't know existed? Well, I learned from, from the very beginning uh, that uh, it was absolutely beautiful uh, going uh, with them and I felt so welcomed all the time. At no point I felt threatened, afraid or anything. It's, I think it's beautiful. And if people are open to, you know, to embrace it, because uh, I think uh, what I see published about the travellers and what I lived 
by being with them for so many months is a complete different narrative. We'll finish with um, the song Nora Bond. You might tell me who's singing here and how you captured this. That's a Winnie Stokes. And we were in Ballinaslow one day and she was so shy. She didn't want to be in front of the camera. And she said, look, I am a singer. Yeah. And I said, OK, can you sing a song? And, and she I sang, said, sing Noreen Bond, because yeah, it was my father's song. Yeah, and she, then... Brilliant, she was fantastic. And she just did it there. Like, it's not pre-recorded in a studio or anything. Winnie Stokes singing Noreen Bond. There's a glen in old Tirconnell. There's a cottage in the glen. Where dwell an Irish colleen who charms the heart of men. The voice of Winnie Stokes there with the song Noreen Bond, and you hear that in the film Minker, which Nora Cochran and Teresa Levenia were speaking to me about. Minker will show on Friday, the th- March the 3rd, as part of the Dublin International F- Film Festival. The festival itself runs from February the 23rd through until the 4th of March. Full details of the Minker screening and indeed of everything happening on the festival at diff.ie. Fleischman is in trouble is a new eight-part series from Disney+. Plus. It stars Jesse Eisenberg and Claire Danes as recently divorced couple Toby and Rachel Fleischman. Toby's back in the dating game, almost overwhelmed by choice in this brave new world of dating apps, but he's still troubled by the breakup of his marriage. Then Rachel disappears. Jen Gannon has been watching it for us and she's with me in studio this evening. You know, and as, <coughs> excuse me, Jen, as I, as I give the setup for it there, you know, yeah, the couple, mm. yeah, everything's going great. It seems, yeah, some kind of little difficulties along the way. They're quite successful, reasonably well off, all the rest of it. Oh, now they're going to split up. <laughs> and you go, I think I've seen this before. But then she disappears and then they're all the way in Gone Girl territory. But maybe no. just give us the setup on where it goes from there. Yeah, so it's based on the 2019 absolute firecracker of a debut novel from the journalist uh, Taffy Brodesser Ackner and she's actually the screenwriter. Mm. So if you are, if fans out there are worried about the source material transferring to screen, breathe a sigh of relief because it's exactly the same. Like it, it you know, it, they do try and pack a lot into those eight episodes though, which could can be a problem because hardly any elements of the, the novel have been left out so it can leave your head spinning a bit but you're not in you may, it may look ostensibly from the outside as this kind of homage to 1970s Woody Allen it's talky fast paced mm. neurotic New Yorker drama but it actually when you get into it it opens out into a whole plethora of issues yeah. rather than just the insati- insatiable state of you know one man's libido it's not that at all yeah he's he, the Jesse Eisenberg character is he's the father of two young children mm. but they've recently divorced uh, reasonably successful doctor but n- it, it, as he would say not successful enough yeah. for his wife Rachel yeah and Rachel is played by Claire Danes sporting a terrifying type A no nonsense Bob and she she is this very ambitious theatre agent who kind mm. of discovers almost a, a female Lin-Manuel Miranda and it's all about how she is on the ladder to success and he is a liver specialist in a hospital and it's almost like he has to make excuses for himself for being a doctor because she would rather that he involves himself in big pharma and you know furthers his career she wants them to be like their waspy friends that yeah. he absolutely hates and you feel like you've seen this kind of before in some ways but then 
then the key to, you know, the audience view of Fleischmann is the fact that it's actually not himself. We're not in Toby's head. Yeah. It is being narrated and relayed his story is by his old friend Libby, who's played by Mean Girls, uh, Lizzie Kaplan. And she narrates the show like this sardonic Carrie Bradshaw. And we're looking at Toby, we're seeing him, but we're hearing Libby. And that is the neat trick to the narrative then. Let's listen to a clip which gives us a sense. It's the, it's the opening monologue, in fact, where they, we don't even know who Libby is at this stage. Mm. It takes a while before we exactly. get to know who's <laughs> narrating the story to us. Uh, but here she is um, telling us a little bit about Toby. Lizzie Kaplan, the voice of Libby. Toby Fleischman awoke one morning inside the city he'd lived in all his adult life, which was suddenly, somehow, now crawling with women who wanted him. Not just any women. Women who were self-actualized and independent and who knew what they wanted. Women who seemed kind. Women who seemed motivated and available. But also some who just sent over a picture of a G-string. Or their side boob. Or their under boob. Or their just plain regular boob. It was more than a newly divorced man could take after 15 years of marriage. All this after a youth full of romantic rejection. All this after placing a lifetime bet on one woman. Who could have predicted this? Who could have predicted that there was such life in him yet? But these women were not objects to Toby. They were his mentors. No, they were his heroes. They were teaching him how to live now that he was suddenly, somehow, no longer living with Rachel. Each morning he would wake up with an overwhelming sense of panic in that new apartment of his. Where was he? Where was she? Where was his home? Something is wrong, he'd think. I am in trouble. For Rachel was no longer in bed with him. And that's uh, the opening monologue there from Fleischmann is in Trouble, new eight-part series from Disney+. And the voice that you hear telling the story of Toby Fleischmann, the character played by Jesse Eisenberg, is his pal Libby, played by Lizzie Kaplan. Mm. Um, she says in the midst of... Uh, Jen, Gannon has been looking at it for us here in the arena. She says in the middle of that monologue, these women were not objects to Toby they were his mentors. Now, while she's saying that, <laughs> we're looking at various pictures of women from dating apps in various states of basically undress mm. is is what we're getting as she describes it in that. Yeah. What's his attitude? What it, is Toby's attitude to women in this series? It does kick off in this very graphic fashion and you do feel like when, you know, he's ready to have the summer of his life like and he's frustrated that you know his ex isn't willing to kind of slot into his new routine because she seems to have disappeared and not picked up his children and he doesn't even begin to really worry about where she could be for about Mm. two days because he's so self-absorbed and he has this kind of you know very strange well not strange but like dim view of women of all women as in he sees he's constantly observing these you know yoga wives in their empty slogan and t-shirts and the anonymous cavalcade of women that he's having sex with and the depressed 40-something women he sees in the hospital that are all addicted to antidepressants and he does view them all with disdain and you know when his divorce lawyer who's played by Successions uh, Jay Smith Cameron who's amazing she says that you know Toby is 
the wife in his marriage mm. and he feels very emasculated by Rachel's continuing success but he fails to see the complexity of the other women in his life so he's blinded by the selfishness and he ignores the troubles of his wife Rachel and his friend Libby and even his daughter Hannah and I think if this show was written by a man mm. it might be that might be the entire narrative the struggles of you know Toby Fleischman railing against you know this world of women who don't understand him but it's when the female characters take charge of the narrative which they do um, right, it which really explains changes why, it why changes the show shifts into something unexpected completely different it is a Trojan horse of a show um, and it, it really brings up so many themes mm. it's such intensely rich writing and full of poignancy about what where these characters are going in you know their middle age and what is happening to this generation of how we call geriatric millennials and how they're coping with their existential crisis and how they're coping with divorce um, and that's what becomes of the show more so yeah so it becomes it it actually really examines the social situation rather than just some kind of whip smart comedy the whole way through but let's have a listen it it isn't all a voiceover narration either it should be it's important (laughs) to say Um, let's have a listen to a clip that uh, is is a more interactive clip where we hear Toby Jesse Eisenberg explaining to his old friends Libby who we hear narrating for the most part uh, played by Lizzie Kaplan and his pal Uh, they were kind of a I was going to say a threesome, but that would be the wrong thing to say in this particular show. A they were a trio of friends, of friends in, um, in, in, in in high school, I guess, and in college. Seth, mm. played by Adam Brody. And they're talking about how marriage uh, breaks down and things go sour and everything goes west. Divorce is like that old Othello game. You know, you start your marriage with all the discs white, right? And then there's some black discs here and there along the way. You know, you fight, but ultimately you laugh and it's fine because the board is still mostly white, Right. But then something happens and the marriage falls apart and suddenly the entire board is black. Is that how you play Othello? They should probably change the name Othello, you know? Yeah, so now even the good memories are like tinged with darkness. You know, they're tainted like they were rotten from the start. Not all of them. Yes, man, all of them, okay? Now you look back at all those memories, like the fight you had on the honeymoon, the way you couldn't agree on like a name for your child and suddenly they're no longer innocuous fights anymore. Now they're foreshadowing. I think when we get married, we really have no way to fully understand what what forever means, you know? Jesse Eisenberg is Toby uh, Fleischman there and his friends Lizzie Cap- uh, Libby played by Lizzie Kaplan Seth played by Adam Brody uh, speaking about um, how marriage breaks down sour, sours all your memories of the relationship and yet we still have the whip smart dialogue mm. in there uh, Jen Gannon but you do get a sense that perhaps you know things aren't as rosy as were given to believe. It's not, that's the thing, it's more granular than that and it's it's not about the surface at all and it really concerns with the full story. It constantly shifts the narrative from Toby to Libby to Rachel to give Mm. this fuller picture a rounded viewpoint where there are no heroes or or villains. It's just all about deeply flawed humans. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. Exactly and like it's a poignant look at how we never really know what anyone is dealing with. Even, you know, your wife of 15 years is still a stranger in your bed sometimes and we never know what anyone's true story is um, and I think that's what's so important about it it's like it really digs into the tougher stuff and it can be this uncomfortable watch about yep. the minutia of relationships and it's helped along obviously by Jesse Eisenberg as Toby Lizzie Kaplan as Libby Adam Brody as Seth and mm. Claire Danes as Rachel the, the, the ex-wife that's some cast they know what they're doing the showmakers intrinsically know their audience they know that the the people that are watching grew up on My So Called Life they grew up on the OC mm. they grew up on Mean Girls and Zombieland these people 
people in their 30s and 40s feel comfortable with these familiar faces and it feels kind of strangely authentic to have this particular group of actors be these people. But you said that it it is adapted for the screen by the novelist Mm. herself and it sticks pretty much to the novel. So this is often a problem when (laughs) when something (laughs) pre-exists. I mean, are you going to know everything if you've read the novel? You are, but I think when you read, I mean, anybody that's read that book and you burn through that book, you cannot help but like turn the pages and get want to unravel the mystery of Rachel herself. You want to see it on the screen. I think it was made to be adapted mm. in that way and you want to see these characters walk around in real life and I think the casting is absolutely perfect, like just perfect for this and I think we find that comfort in, you know, this trio, uh, in Seth and Libby especially, that Toby does. There's this easy nostalgia to see in Adam Brody and Claire Danes and, you know, Lizzie Kaplan and those in-jokes and fond memories right. that he has also is reflected by the audience and so, I think, you know, it's... Lizzie Kaplan especially gives a career best performance I would say because Libby herself it's this slow quiet existential crisis okay. uh, that breakdown but also Claire Danes we know she's a world class crier everything from Romeo and Juliet to Homeland and this sees her given raw emotion okay. and you're hooked in. in. Uh, oh it's definitely I think I'm, it's something that as I said it's very rich and very poignant oh. and I do think it's you know universal and extremely oh. effective uh, it's Fleischmann uh, is in trouble is the t- title of the series is on Disney Plus from this Wednesday the 22nd of February. Just time to t- remind you that tomorrow night we're live from the Pavilion Theatre in Dunlera. Public interview with Sebastian Barry. He'll talk to us about his new novel Old God's Time, story of a retired detective, Tom Kettle. Painful case from his past career but we'll also look back at the great successes of the past career of Sebastian Barry and we'll have live music on the night from uh, Derry Farrell. Um, still some tickets I believe available for that but you can always get us live here. It'll be live 7 to 8 here on our TE Radio 1 tomorrow evening. That is our lot for this Monday evening. Amandine Passo-Devine was the broadcast coordinator. Paula Shields researched. Mark McGrath was on sound this evening. And tonight's programme was produced by Olin McGon. Talk to you tomorrow night then, live from the Pavilion Theatre. I'm back with you as usual in studio here on 